0: The leader in human performance improvement training and technologies, KnowledgeVind is committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVind, the evolution of human performance. Learn more at knowledgevine.com. Today, my guest on the show is Britt Howard. Britt, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, sir.
0: Well, Britt, we have nothing but quality guests on this show. And so as is often the case, you're a guy who've has more letters after his name than you have letters in your name. (laughs) So you have an MS. I think I know what that is. That would be a master's in safety management. I know what CSP is. That's certified safety professional. CRSP, that one, you got me beat on that one.
1: So it's the same thing, but it's for Canada. So it's a Canadian registered safety professional.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So Britt, you're the vice president and group director assurance. Yes, sir. Assurance of what?
1: Assurance is what we call in Worley, health, safety, environment, quality assurance. So to make sure that we're performing our work the way that we said that we were going to do it and business risk. So inclusive of health and safety, but also financial risk, geographical risk, geopolitical risk. So that is my remit.
0: Okay. All right. Well, just real quick to let everybody know the kind of guests that we have on here today, you're going to want to hear what Britt has to say if you've ever heard Britt speak before. In fact, we always put the LinkedIn URL for our guest and We're going to do that with you folks. When you go in and look at his LinkedIn, there's a video of a speech that he did at the women's global leadership conference in energy last year. This guy's the real deal. You want to have on your show and talk about safety, except, well, first of all, let me say two things. When you look at all of his qualifications and all of his certifications and his professional affiliations, if I were to read all those, it'd take up the rest of the podcast. However, Britt, after Listening to your presentation at the Women's Global Leadership Conference in Energy, I almost canceled the interview because as qualified as you are, I really can't have HSE people coming on the show who aren't excited about their jobs, (laughs) you know, who just want to trudge through the drudgery all day long, check the box, you know, i uh, Folks, you'll have to listen to his speech. You have no idea how facetious I'm being. So I'm going to shut up. And matter of fact, I'm going to let him tell you, Britt is extremely excited about his job, right, Britt?
1: I am. I am. I'm blessed to do what I do. And I've shared in presentations and I share at home, I would do what I do for free if I could. I truly feel that a higher power, my God has put me in a position to serve others when it comes to safety and health.
0: Well, that's great. And so you've got more than what 30 years experience. I do. And you've been all over the United States. Yes, sir. 15 countries. Yes, sir. Four continents. Yes, sir. But then here's the part that, so you're an HSE professional and also college instructor. There's a little line in here that actually there's two lines in here. When I look at your bio, your bachelor's is in criminal justice. Yes, sir. From West State University. Uh Let's see, is that in the West Virginia State State University? University. And you played football there too, right? I did. Okay, and are you from? I am from West
1: Virginia. Yes, sir.
0: Okay. All right. So the oil, once you finally got into oil and gas, that brought you down to into Texas. Okay. And we're recording, folks. By the way, we're doing this live. We're doing this from the Warley offices here in Houston. So how do you go from criminal justice, and then it says you were a professional firefighter, and then all of a sudden you're a Safety management expert.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give you the short version. Okay. All right. So the short version is, as I was preparing to go into federal law enforcement. And to do that at the time that I was preparing, you had to take a civil service exam. I was a good to great student in college, but I wasn't very good in taking tests. And I learned one way to become better at taking tests was to become comfortable taking tests. So I took just tests just to take the tests. I had no interest in what the basic goal was, but I just wanted to become comfortable taking tests. So a fire department exam came up. They had practice sessions to prepare people to take the tests. So I did that. And when I took the tests, I scored in the top percentile and I was offered a job. The job paid $2,000 less than being a federal law enforcement agent. Important, but most important. I was going to be able to serve the people that I lived around in Charleston, West Virginia. So I became a professional firefighter in a town just over from where I grew up. That's how I became a firefighter.
0: Okay. So how'd you become a safety expert?
1: Fantastic question. So while I was a firefighter, I was awarded an academic scholarship because of what I did in undergrad academically to go to graduate school for free. So when I looked at graduate school, which was Marshall university, I looked at the majors that were associated with what I was doing, and the only one that was associated with what I was doing was safety, firefighter, proactive safety, reactive safety. I'll try it out. I really didn't want to go to graduate school. My mother convinced me to go to graduate school, and that was another element of a higher power lead me into my calling. And Once I got into safety, I haven't looked back. My wife and I do as much work for free in safety, whether it's teaching CPR, writing children's books, or putting on children's conferences and workshops in safety as I do professionally.
0: Hang on here. That's one more thing I was planning on getting to. You've not only published several articles, but you've also authored books on leadership and safety. Yes, sir. And then you said children's books too? Yes, sir. All right. Tell me about those real quick. Yeah.
1: So we have a sponsor. We have a young person that we use, which is called Little B, who's our mascot. That's a better term. Little B is our mascot. When I played football, it was much bigger than I am now. My nickname was Big B. I played (laughs) on the defensive line, so I was Big B. So when we got into writing the books, we needed a mascot. So we developed Little B, my inner child. And Little B talks to children about traffic safety about kitchen safety, about fire safety, about being personally connected to personal hygiene and stranger safety. So all of those are chapters within our books. That was the first book that came out. And then the second book that came out was Little B's Behavior Coaching. We wanted to say manners, because that's what it's about, right? Is practicing good manners, but we thought that would turn people off. So we used the word behavior. But those are the two books that are out, and we continue on with that legacy of writing and marketing the books. But then again, and my wife would be nudging me if she was sitting here, we give away as many books as we sell because we just want to share the learnings and the blessings that we've had as not only individuals but also as a family.
0: So can you buy them
1: like on Amazon? Or? You can. You can Google little bees, safety coaching or good behavior coaching. All and right. We'll, they're there.
0: We'll put that in the show notes for sure so people can find that. But let's get to the meat of why I really wanted to have you on the show. The cornerstone of our show is like the intro to the show says, everyone coming home safe. Mm-hmm. But we have this attitude, you know, it's an HSE podcast. So the only reason you'd listen to this podcast is if you're an HSE. Well, no, no, everybody's interested in HSE. So this, even though it says HSE podcast, it's a podcast everybody should listen to because everybody, and especially the leadership in the company, you know, need to be focused on safety and safety isn't about The expression I always use is safety cop. Mm -hmm. You know, he's hiding behind the bushes with his, you know, instead of his radar gun, he's got his clipboard. You know, he's trying to find somebody who's not wearing their safety glasses or, you know, gloves or don't put their seatbelt on. And he's going to, you know, write everybody up and that sort of thing. Safety is about, and I hate to use overused words, but it really is about a culture. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. And that culture has to revolve around leadership. Correct. Yes, sir. And you have some pretty good ideas on that, and that's what I wanted to have you share with us today.
1: Yes, sir, and I appreciate you opening up the conversation with sharing your own thoughts. I want to go back to what you said about the safety cop. About 12 years ago, I was attending and speaking at a safety conference, and I was at the bar drinking pineapple juice because I don't consume alcohol, but I was at the bar (laughs) drinking pineapple juice. And a young man was sitting beside me, and we started – conversing and he said what are you doing here and I said I'm here at the safety conference I'm going to be presenting he said what do you do I said I'm a safety guy because I don't go into what my position is that's not important I'm here to serve in the safety space
0: actually let me interrupt you right quick your position kind of is important around here at Worley aren't you like only one or two in this position or
1: yeah, my position is one of two, but every position, all 53,000 positions at Worley are profoundly important. We just do different things. I do safety. If I was somebody to prepare meals on one of our bases or our outposts, then that would be an important position too. I'll just do safety. So every position is important. Every person is is important. As this young man was, as he asked me what I did. So he asked you what you did and you said you do safety. I said, I'm a safety guy because that's typically what I say. And I said, what do you do? Because I want to know more about him. I already know what I do. I want to learn more about him. And he said, I'm an electrician and my company made me come to this event. Made me come to this event. (laughs) Made me come. And he said, let me ask you a question. And he said, are you the type of safety guy that when you walk up, people walk the other way? Are you the kind that they look forward to engaging? And I said, I hope I'm the kind that they look forward to engaging because that's the most important part of my job. In the leadership role that I'm in, I have the grand opportunity of visiting work family members around the world. I also have the great opportunity to mentor and coach other people that are in positions of influence, also known as leadership, and to show them and to speak to them about how we serve And safety, especially when it's developing and nurturing of a culture, nobody comes to work with the intent on getting hurt. Everybody wants to do a good job and go home safely. But we have influencers around us, such as shortcuts, such as time requirements, such as lack of resourcing, whether it's tools or people, that as human beings influences our decisions, our behaviors. One of the elements of safety leaders, and everybody's a safety leader, but the individuals that have that specific position like me, one of our roles is to really focus in on that, removing those influencers that can lead to risk-taking and or ultimately an event, whether it's an injury or it's an automobile accident, a fire, explosion, anything that negatively impacts the work family member first, the completion of work second, and the environment or the community third. That's really our focus. And
0: so you have some ideas. Leadership itself is its own skill set. Right? It is. It is. And you have some pretty interesting ideas about that. Share those with us.
1: Yeah. When I present, I typically present on safety leadership when I write magazine articles or I do a lecture, I use the word safety leadership, but one of the first things I say right out the shoot is you could remove the term safety. I'm really just talking to you about leadership. I'm talking about developing relationships. I'm talking about leading by example. I'm focused in on the behaviors and not the person when I'm coaching or mentoring. So when I talk about safety leadership, it's really about leadership. And the best definition that I've seen that I've embraced about leadership It's promoting someone to do something that they wouldn't normally do because they want to do it. (laughs) Promoting someone to do something that they wouldn't normally do because they want to do it. You think about when seatbelts first came out. I was a child, and I remember my parents. I remember my neighbors. I remember a law enforcement officer telling me he wasn't going to wear a seatbelt because it would mess up his tie. Nobody wanted to wear a seatbelt. But the organization, as far as the United States government, put on and the states bought into it. And there was such a push to raise our level of traffic safety by the application of seatbelts, laws, commercials, marketing campaigns. And now I don't even think about putting on a seatbelt. It's automatic. My children have never experienced They've never riding in a anything car, anything else. Yeah, riding they, a car without they, a seatbelt. They've
0: never slept up on the back of the backseat dash. There you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> and my parents, my mother's still with us. She wears a seatbelt. But she didn't want to wear a seatbelt when it first came out. But the safety leadership and those campaigns and the theory of the seatbelt save lives. And I can say that because I was a firefighter. I used to extract people out of cars that were involved in deadly automobile crashes. I never extracted somebody out of a car that was killed per an automobile accident, that was wearing a seatbelt. Now, the opposite of that, I can't say is true. Right. The opposite of that, I can't say is true. So that's an example, promoting people to do something they wouldn't normally do because they want to do it. I want to wear a seatbelt. Now, my mother wears a seatbelt. She encourages other people to wear seatbelts. But 30, 40, 50 years ago, she didn't want to wear a seatbelt. But now she does. That's safety leadership. That is leadership. Exactly. Exactly. And
0: so fleshing that out just a little bit more. And I want to go back to this presentation that you made at the conference that I was talking about. You've got some principles that kind of impressed me. The first one being, you said you're an eternal student. Yes, sir. And you're always learning. And I think a lot of times one of the weaknesses of a safety program is People feel like they've come to the point where they've arrived. They become complacent. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that deviation of standards begins to creep in. And so one of the things that you've got to always be is this eternal student. Yes, sir. Where you're increasing your competencies. Yes, sir. And, you know, you're also a hard worker, aren't you? You put in a lot of time, don't you?
1: I love what I do. I love what I do. It's not work if you love what you do.
0: And of course, that's what you talked about at the women's conference is find your niche,
1: right? Yes, sir. And you probably heard me talk about my wife likes me to put down work and I find ways to sneak. I sneak and do work at home. It's (laughs) it's amazing. But we've come to a solid place after being together for 20 years that she understands and she embraces that most of the time. But being an internal student, I think is important for everybody. We will never know everything. No matter if you have a PhD from several universities, you've been around the world, you've been on earth for 200 years, there is something that you can learn. And there are as many people that can teach you something, no matter what age they are. I was just talking to a young lady yesterday who has a newborn. And she is so efficient in her job. And one of the things that we talked about was that she is learning patience from a six-month-old. (laughs) She's learning patience from a six-month-year-old. So that's, yeah, we're all, hopefully all of us recognize that we are eternal students. We're always have the opportunity to grow and to develop.
0: And then that goes along with your second point, which was collaboration. So that's, you know, you can learn from anybody. And then the other thing that you have to have is the ability to adapt. Yes, sir. And that can sometimes take a lot of patience on some people's parts, but that's back to that principle you were talking about, trying to manage change and try to manage controls. Mm -hmm. You mentioned time management, of course. Well, I shouldn't say that goes without saying, but that is a critical aspect to leadership. But the one that I think is sometimes often overlooked, you talked about a positive outlook. Yes, sir. And a genuine smile. Yes, sir. And you say whenever anybody asks you how you're doing, everybody always knows what the answer is. And what's that?
1: Yes, sir. Fantastic. Fantastic. I am fantastic. And I don't always feel fantastic, but I drive myself to recognize my blessings. I drive myself to be optimistic about today and tomorrow. And I'll take that opportunity to influence others as well. And yeah, that's my common response. And I mean it most of the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I have a brother-in-law. He says the same thing. He says, I'm fantastic, but I'm trying to get better. There you go. <laughs> and by the way, while I'm thinking about it, because I'm going to get to the last point, and this is probably where we're going to take it and end it from here. Your last point was emotional intelligence, mm. but I have a pet peeve about PowerPoint. Yes, sir. And people who've listened to this show on a regular basis, I've told the story more than once, a story about a group of MBA students on the weekend, you know, and they're Doing their online stuff and all that, and so they get into business presentations and all. They start talking about PowerPoint, and they get into a discussion about you know what should be on a PowerPoint slide and how many points should there be on a PowerPoint slide. And you know, some said there shouldn't be more than three, and some said, oh, you can put five on it. Finally, they call their professor. They say, how many points should be on a good PowerPoint slide? He said, at least one. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, But anyway, you said in the summer of 2002, you went to a conference that changed your life.
1: Yes, sir. So
0: tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So I worked for an oil operator, owner, and I was identified globally as one of their high potentials. So they sent me to a conference in Atlanta for a week with six other people from around the world that were identified as high potentials. The six of us spent that week with eight industrial psychologists going through scenarios of where our leadership capability was tested and or revealed and or developed, inclusive of actors coming in, mock office settings, getting fake facts and being observed on what we would do.
0: Did you say facts? (laughs) Yeah. It's been a while, huh?
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And at the end, we all got a two-hour debrief. And in my two-hour debrief, I got 95% positive, oh, you're on your way, you're far beyond some of your peers, but there was one thing that I fell short, and that was emotional intelligence. And I'd never heard the term before, and I said, well, what's that? And they said, emotional intelligence is being self-aware and being able to respond and show emotions professionally and applicably based upon the situation. I said, okay. And they said, it's also using your emotional intelligence to influence the emotions of others. I said, well, okay, that's fantastic words. I still don't know what it means. And they (laughs) said, well, here's a book for you to read. So I read the book from cover to cover, probably one of the only books, even though I had a master's degree at the time, and was teaching university safety engineering that I'd ever read. Cover to cover, but it was so intriguing.
0: You're like me, you just you get the book, you got one thing you want to get out of it, there you go. And then you know, yeah.
1: But that book shared the concept of emotional intelligence and it changed my life. Not only my professional life of how to treat others and how to show emotions at work, but also on how to be optimistic and to influence others' outlook at work and also at home. I've read probably 15 books on emotional intelligence since then. And I do presentations at universities and in con- industrial conferences and at work in my own work family here at Worley on emotional intelligence. But one thing that they said profoundly that I did that I thought was correct is no matter what was going on in these scenarios, these mock activities with actors, I never changed my emotions. I had one young man come into the fake office and he threatened to fight me because he didn't like the safety procedure I just put out. And I didn't, I just said, okay, well, you know, whatever you want to do. And (laughs) I just sat there with a straight face, no body language. And then a young girl came in and she'd just gotten a raise and she was very excited. And she told me how great I was as a supervisor. And again, no reaction. I thought at the time that that's what good leaders did. You didn't show emotions at work. You didn't get too happy. You didn't get too upset. You just stayed average. You stayed median. You stayed emotionless. And the feedback from the industrial psychologist is no, that's not what good leaders do. Good leaders lead by showing that they're human. And one way that we're human is showing when we're extra happy. Showing when we're disappointed, you know, within parameters. You don't go out to the parking lot and say let's fight, or you don't say let's go out and get drunk to celebrate your race. Right. But you do smile. You do congratulate. You do say I'm disappointed in your behavior, not you as a person, but in your behavior. And this is how we want to move forward with that. So all that's a part of emotional intelligence. I get so excited when I have the opportunity to share emotional intelligence principles to young developing leaders. I speak routinely at four local universities, and when I have those young people listening to my words and talking about emotional intelligence at 18, 19, 20, which I didn't learn about emotional intelligence until I was well into my 30s, I feel like I'm adding value to the world because I'm adding value to them. So yes, emotional intelligence not only changed my life at work, it changed my life at home. The best one, and I'm sure you heard it In the presentation that I shared, it's self regulation. You don't always have to say what you think. You know, using the filter between your brain and your mouth is one of the most profound emotional intelligence principles that I think all of us should have.
0: Folks, that right there is worth the price of admission. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> Britt, I really enjoyed this conversation. You are refreshing. You are fantastic. <laughs> thank you, uh, sir. Thank you again for coming on. As always, thanks to everyone else out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen because this is kind of quality stuff that we have on a regular basis. Tell all your friends about us, post us on LinkedIn and your other social media, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, or there's actually a review link in the show notes that you can punch on. And we really appreciate some of the nice things you guys say, some of the ideas you have for what you want to hear about on the show. So please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. KnowledgeVine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting. KnowledgeVine, error reduction that works. Discover more about Knowledge Vine and human performance by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, or just simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.